Amen. Good to be in church on a Tuesday. Y'all must be really fanatically crazy. Amen. Take your Bible here and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, I'd be all right if they changed that whole uh, daylight savings thing. It's depressing. Oh, God, good night. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter. I want to give you some thoughts here tonight before we uh, get into our time of communion. And of course, with communion, I'd, I want to I want to intentionally slow it down and uh, take time with it. Uh, the hymn writer said, "Take time to be holy," and that's a good way to approach it. You know, we take time to do so many things. We take plenty of time for work, obviously, right? You've got enough work to go from here to eternity. And then not only that, but then we prepare to go to work, don't we? And we prepare to do so many other things. You know, we prepare, we go shopping, you know, and then there's preparations to go shopping. But then the very things that seem to be the most important, I think sometimes if we're not careful, we'll just kind of glaze through it. So for that reason, I think we need to drop it in a lower gear and just kind of look at things and take our time with it and not be in a hurry. Uh, for, for many years, uh, you know, uh, a lot of times communion has been looked at and viewed at as something sacramental, kind of like get through it, you know. Um, and I'm not trying to create a strange new doctrine, but I believe as believers we ought to slow down with it. Uh, but 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, when you find it, we'll read uh, beginning and read verse 23. Now the interesting thing about the Lord's Supper is this is something as we begin reading here in verse 23, uh, I know you know this, you've read it, it's something that the Lord gave Paul. It's kind of like the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Lord gave Paul the gospel of the grace of God. And that is a direct revelation from the Lord that was given to Paul. So here in verse 23, the Bible says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. So for the very reason that we gather and to do the Lord's Supper as not anything of a sacramental nature that provides any kind of saving grace or salvation, it is simply to remember the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us. I don't know about you, but that's refreshing to hear that. Because as fast as this world spins, it still tries to retrain you and to betray you into thinking that taking part in some type of religious exercise has some sort of grace attached with it. It's simply remembering what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us. Verse 25 says, After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as oft as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do shew the Lord's death 
till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. So here's a strong warning. First of all, if you're not saved, you have no business taking the Lord's Supper. But if you're not saved or if you're not right with the Lord in fellowship with Him, and that uh, is further, uh, you can further explain that by not having your sins confessed, right, and being in a right relationship with Him, well, you got some things against you. It says, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Now, I've been guilty of a lot of things, but that is one thing I do not want to be guilty of. So, how do you remedy it? Verse 28, but let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. So we're here tonight. We'll take a time when we're done uh, with the preaching. And we'll have some, some special music to bring in the right atmosphere and ask the Lord to bless the thing and we'll have a time of self-judgment, self-reflection and that's where you exam, that's a self-exam and I don't know about you, every time I take that exam I flunk, <laughs> I flunk but by the time I'm done I've got straight A's, amen and if you're here tonight and you're out of fellowship with the Lord you might start that thing off flunking but you can come out Passing with flying colors. It says, So let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread, and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So here's a pastor. My concern for the flock is that you do it the right way, uh, not so you can have the Sunday school pin, but so the Lord don't bonk you on the head. You see what I mean? There is physical... There's physical damnation, temporal, physical damnation connected to taking this thing the wrong way. Now you can't damn your soul to hell if you're saved, amen? But you sure can get sick, right? And you sure can die, can't you? And I wouldn't want any of that stuff to happen to our church people. So that's another reason we slow it down and drop the anchor and take our time with it because I want God's people right with him when we take the Lord's Supper. Verse 30 says, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. So Paul's explaining what he's talking about. What has to happen is you have to get alone here with yourself, your conscience, and the Lord, and you have to examine yourself, and then when the Holy Spirit sheds light on what is wrong between you and the Lord, You've got to judge it and say, you're right, I'm wrong. That thing right there that I've been messing around with or thinking or saying or doing or not been doing, that's wicked, and I ought to be in hell for it, but thank God I can't go, and Lord, would you forgive me for it? And that's how you judge it. He said, if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren... When you come together to eat, tarry one for another. Obviously, something going on in Corinth here. They're having a big potluck dinner instead of doing the Lord's Supper the way they should. He says, and if any man hunger, let him eat at home. But you come not together unto condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. Let's pray. Father, we sure love you. Thank you, Lord, for the King James Bible. Thank you, Lord, for the flock that came out tonight. Father, thank you for each and every one of them. 
Father, I pray for them. I pray that you'd bless each and every one of them in their walk with you. Father, now as we take just a few moments and uh, get around your word, Father, would you open our eyes? We behold wondrous things out of thy law. Father, if there's some place where we're not right with you, Father, would the Holy Spirit shine the light on it? And Father, I pray that you'd give us some uh, a blessing on the word as is preached for the next few minutes. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, of course, in the next few days, as you know, you have all have made plans. Uh, families are going to get together and they're going to sit around the table. Probably one of the best things I know Americans do the best is sit around the table. <laughs> Amen. Our relationships are forged around the table. Family traditions are forged around the table. Family uh, stories, lies <laughs> are forged around the table. <laughs> yeah, lots of lies, right? Uh, you know. And... Uh, uh, what is going to happen is a lot of us are going to attempt to unplug for just a little bit. There's a little bit of danger in totally unplugging, amen. Um, but you're going to attempt to unplug and further some family traditions and family relationships, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. But as we slow down just a little bit tonight, I want you to consider, like we've been talking about, your relationship with the Lord. Why we come to church, why we meet together is not only to learn more about the Lord, but to make sure that we're right with Him. We were saved, uh, when we were saved, we were reconciled unto God, weren't we? We were brought back into a right relationship with the Lord, and that is our state. That is our state. You and I are forever saved. It is a fixed, permanent thing. Praise the Lord. And as they say down south, pass the chicken. But that standing is what changes on a constant basis, isn't it? It's our standing, our daily standing with the Lord. Are we in fellowship? Are we out of fellowship? And it's based on our obedience to what the Bible tells us and our relationship with Him. So we've arrived at the place here where we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And like I said, you know this, a lot of places, a lot of churches where I have come from, and even in this building for many years, it was broken down to just basically a religious sacrament, something you rush through, and it's something we should take our time with. I want you to consider just a few things around our communion with the Lord tonight, just about three things I want you to consider. Uh, first of all, uh, here in verse 23, I want you to consider his betrayal. Consider his betrayal. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, the Bible says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. I don't know about you, I, but the Lord knows what it's like to be betrayed. The Lord knows what it's like to have someone turn on him. You ever had somebody turn on you? That's one of the worst feelings in the world, isn't it? No matter how trivial it may seem, remember those high school relationships, the grade school relationships, maybe even college relationships, even just, you know, you have male friends and boyfriends and girlfriends. And, but anyways, uh, there comes a point in time where someone will betray you and you, you trust that person to either maybe not say something they, you told them in private, right? Or the next thing you know, uh, they've turned on you. They've crossed you. But let me tell you what. I want you to consider the Lord's betrayal. I want you to consider that his betrayal was foretold, foretold in Scripture. 
it was foretold in Scripture. The Bible says in Matthew 17, verse 22, Matthew 17, 22, And while they abode in Galilee, Jesus said unto them, The Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men. It was foretold in Scripture. Now, of course, there's other verses of Scripture in the Bible, and, of course, you know who we're talking about. We're talking about Judas. And to this day, unless it's some wicked rock star, I don't know anyone naming their child Judas. <laughs> Do you? I don't. I, I don't know any Judas in America. Now, some people act like a Judas, but his betrayal was foretold in Scripture. You know what? His betrayal was not only foretold in Scripture, but it was carried out by his friend. His betrayal was carried out by his friend. Look at Psalm 41, verse 9, just for a moment here. That's the worst kind, isn't it? You expect people who are your enemy to out you, to be against you, but you never see it coming when it's your friend, do you? I'll tell you, if one thing the Lord knows and understands, He knows what it's like to have someone betray Him. Psalm chapter 41, verse 9. Prophecy in the Old Testament about what happened in the garden. He says, Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. You see that? He was betrayed by his friend. Judas was his friend. You don't think Judas was his friend? Judas had the power to, uh, to, raise, uh, to, to do miracles. He was one of the 12 apostles. And yet he was, uh, he, he, was, he was the Lord's friend, and he ended up betraying him in the garden. What a terrible thing to happen. I'll show you another one, Zechariah chapter 13. I know we don't turn to Zechariah much. I'll tell you, Zechariah is one of those books just loaded. Just loaded, loaded with uh, truth, loaded with prophecy, and uh, probably should spend more time in Zechariah, amen, <laughs> but we don't. <laughs> Zechariah chapter 13, Zechariah chapter 13, verse 6, and I know you know this, sis, but don't ever worry about her. She can squeak and squall her. I love it, amen. The more noise, the merrier. Those are just kid amens over there is what they are. <laughs> Zechariah 13, 6, the Bible says, And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thy hands? Ain't that interesting? Then he shall answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. You see that? Jesus Christ knows what it's like to be betrayed. His betrayal is foretold in Scripture. Jesus was uh, betrayed by his friend. Notice, look at Matthew chapter 26 and verse 50. Jesus actually identifies Judas in the garden as friend. <laughs> Matthew chapter 26 and verse 50. This is really ties all this prophecy together. I know you don't doubt it, but I don't know about you. It's good to see the prophecy, and then it's good to see the thing revealed and fulfilled, isn't it? As Brother Marlon preached so simply and so eloquently the week ago, um, it, how's it go? Uh, what was the title? The scripture, that the scriptures be fulfilled. And I don't know about you, it's good to see the scriptures fulfilled. And you and I are living in a day when we're seeing the scriptures fulfilled. Well, Matthew chapter 26, verse 50, the Bible says, And Jesus said unto him, Friend, Wherefore art thou 
come. You see that capital F? Indicative of a person, a proper noun, friend. So Jesus Christ, his betrayal was foretold in Scripture. And uh, Jesus, of course, Christ, was all, he was betrayed by his friend. But notice this. I want you to see that any man living for Jesus Christ is going to face betrayal. I want you to see that. I want you to remember that. A look at Luke chapter 21. Here's a comparative reference. I know who it's to, but it's something that you should hang on to and realize that if you live for Jesus Christ, you will be betrayed. You might not be crucified, of course, right? But you're going to be betrayed by people. By people. Your job place will betray you. Your family will betray you. I'm telling you the truth. You have to brace yourself for these things and, and uh, realize that, uh, well, we'll get into Scripture here. Look at verse, uh, chapter 21, verse 16. I know this is Jewish in context. This is uh, tribulation in context, but a great comparative reference about what we're going to talk about. The Bible says, And ye shall be betrayed both by parents and brethren and kinsfolk and friends, and some of you shall they cause to be put to death. Listen, if you live for Jesus Christ, you're going to face betrayal. Look at 2 uh, Timothy chapter 3. We'll get you in the right dispensation here, amen, so we're not heretics. <laughs> 2 Timothy chapter 3. Great thing about Scripture, it's got more than one application. You can always spiritually apply a passage, but you have to doctrinally divide it to make sure you're on solid ground. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, the Bible says, Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall have a great 401k plan. <laughs> I wrote that version, amen. It doesn't say that, does it? Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And that persecution might be that you're betrayed by your friends. You're betrayed by your family. You might be betrayed by a neighbor or someone that you love very much. Listen to this verse in Luke chapter 17, verse 1. Jesus said to the disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come. Christian, you got to remember in the Christian life, as Jesus Christ is betrayed, you have to remember that offenses are going to come, especially as we get closer to getting out of here. And I thank God for unity, as Brother Cole prayed. He prays so often. He says that, I'm, and he's thankful for unity. I'm thankful for unity in our local church. But you have to remember, if you're going to live godly in Christ Jesus, you're going to suffer persecution, and many times offenses will come. You will be betrayed. Someone will out you. Someone will say something about you. Now look at this thing in Matthew chapter 10. Here's an interesting thing. The thing that hurts the most is Christians don't stab each other in the back, do they? They stab each other in the heart. Amen, amen. But you have to learn to recover from that. You have to learn that once you get stabbed in the heart, it's not the end of the world. You gave your heart to Jesus Christ, didn't you? He's got it. Trying to encourage you tonight. I want you to consider the betrayal. The Bible says in Matthew 10, 36, And a man's foe shall be they, there it is, isn't it, of his own household. That's a comparative reference. I understand the context of that. But you've got to be careful, Christian. Remember that offenses will come. Offenses will come. And many times 
you'll face betrayal, and sometimes it could be of your own household. That's why you want to make sure your relationship is right with the Lord and you're not leaning on your friendships and on your personal fellowships to carry you through this life. Let me give you a, a quick historical illustration here. William Tyndale, he first translated the Bible from Hebrew and Greek into English, making a Bible for the common people. In around 1535, he was betrayed by a friend because it was illegal. So someone that was helping him translate the Bible outed him. And guess what? They threw him in prison. Ultimately, he was unable to finish his work because while in prison, they sentenced him to die a heretic's death. You say, what was that sentence? Strangulation and then burn at the stake. He never did finish his work. He was betrayed by a friend that was helping him translate and print the Bible. That's pretty rough, isn't it? I mean, if there was ever a more noble cause to be loyal to your brother and sister in the Lord, you would think it'd be to print the Bible. <laughs> but not this guy. <laughs> well, on October 6, 1536, William Tyndale cried out his last words. You know what they were? Lord, open the eyes of the King of England. That was his last words. And then they strangled him, and then they burned him at the stake. You say, why would you give that illustration? Because if you live for Jesus Christ, you just might be betrayed by friends. You might be betrayed by family. You don't have to get a complex over it. You don't have to walk around and think, I'm, I'm going to be a martyr for Jesus, and my family's going to be betrayed. No, 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 no. Just realize it just very well might happen if you live godly in Christ Jesus. You might be betrayed by friends, family, and foes alike. Well, that's his betrayal. Some things to consider before going into communion here. But let's consider next here in verse 24. Let's consider his broken body. The broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, our text. Great passage. So much learning in this small passage. I don't think we could ever exhaust its contents. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24, the Bible says, And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. I just was reading that, and the Holy Spirit impressed it upon me that we don't consider the brokenness of his body as much as we probably should. We don't consider the brokenness. I preached on Sunday about being thankful and how we Christians are full of so many things, and like I said, it's easy to be thankful for the good things. It's easy to be thankful for good health and, and uh, have the bills paid, amen, and have a, a boiler that works, and it was just a setting. They came in, did the test, and they adjusted it to what they thought it would, and it kept tripping a setting, and so they had to come back and uh, trial and error, and they didn't charge us coming out twice on a weekend, so praise the Lord for that. Thank you for praying, if you were one praying. But consider his broken body. In Isaiah chapter 52, verse 14, we learn that his broken body was the place of marring. It says, As many as were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man. You realize when they put Jesus on the cross, that old prophet, what he's saying there is they couldn't even recognize who he was. He was beaten so bad, he was injured so bad, 
he was whipped so bad that he said his visage, that's what he looked like. He was a mess. That word mar means to disform or to disfigure. You ever stop and think about the love that Jesus Christ had for the entire world to let a bunch of Roman soldiers beat him to a pulp? They couldn't even recognize who he was. He said, well, I'll watch the Passion of the Christ. Well, okay, great. But I'm telling you what, I doubt that did it justice. The Bible says his visage was so marred more than any man. His broken body was a place of marring. It was a place of bruising there in Isaiah 53.10. Bible says in Isaiah 53.10, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Isn't that something? It pleased God the Father to bruise his own son. I've often thought in my own Christian life why I've had to deal with some of the things I had to deal with. And sometimes I go back to that. Well, if it pleased the Lord to bruise his son, I guess every once in a while I'm cruising for a bruising too. Amen. And he'll never take one more tear out of your eye than what needs to happen. But he was pleased with the bruising of his own son. And Christian, if you live for the Lord, he'll bruise you too. But it'll be to develop you. It'll be to bring honor and glory to him. His uh, body was a place of marring, the place of bruising. Of course, you know in Isaiah 53 verse 5, great verse of scripture, there's a place of wounding. The Bible says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised, there's that bruising again, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. I mean, the, the amount of agony and pain and physical discomfort inflicted upon the Lord Jesus Christ, I have no idea. I have no idea. I can't even imagine. I mean, the little bit of pain I've had, I had a surgery in January, but then they still gave me a bunch of drugs for that. I come out of the surgery and they gave me this, uh, whatever it was, and they told me I was narcotic naive and uh, my blood pressure dropped. And I, that just means you make a really bad drug addict, I guess. <laughs> That's what it was, and broke out in the sweat and all that stuff and had, had a bunch of pain. I remember the kids were there and uh, I, was, I was feeling real good. I had this, what is it called, saddle block or something. I'm like, oh, yeah, I can handle this. And all of a sudden that stuff began to wear off. And all of a sudden the tears began to well up in my eyes. I'm like, I'm not trying to cry either. I mean, I know how to cry, man. But <laughs> I'm like, y'all got to go because this is going to get real. <laughs> but I'm telling you what, I bet you the Lord, uh, I bet you he suffered a whole lot more than that. And see, they, they offered him some, uh, some, some stuff, didn't he? He refused it. He refused the, the local painkiller. He didn't want nothing to do with it. And then to think over there in Philippians, it says, for the joy that was set before him, that he considered it joy to go to the cross, for the marring, for the bruising, for the wounding. Man. Well, if you look in John chapter 8, 29, his broken body, his marring, his bruising, his wounding, all of this pleased the Father. It pleased the Father. I want you to consider today that everything that Jesus Christ did pleased the Father. The Bible says, for I do always those things that please him. Just trying to get you to think of a few things as we try to get into the throne room here tonight and consider things before you have some communion with him. Consider that he knows what it's like to be betrayed. Consider that he knows what it's like to be broken, not just physically. Sometimes your brokenness can be financially. <laughs> Sometimes your brokenness can be emotionally. 
Sometimes your brokenness can be spiritually. You just feel like you're on the backside of the desert, no matter how much Bible you read, no matter how hard you pray. You just can't seem to make the connection, can you? And sometimes that's the, the best time in the world to keep reading and keep praying when it's dry in that dry and weary land. Consider this with me tonight. Not only his betrayal, his broken body, but I want you to consider here in verse 25 his shed blood. Consider the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 25, After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. What a wonderful thing the blood of Jesus Christ is. And you know, you know how one of the main reasons you know it's so important? Because the new Bibles are getting rid of it. What these new Bibles get rid of is important. And the Bible says don't mess with it, don't mess with it. But not just that. In 1 John chapter 1, 7, one of the most important things to a Christian is that his blood cleanses us from all sin. Whenever you mess up, there's an endless supply of Christ's blood that you can enter into the throne room and just simply, can I say it like this, take a bloodbath. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 7, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. I've talked to people before, and you have, and they'll say this, Well, you don't know what I did. And I'm thinking... And I don't want to know either, <laughs> right? I don't want to know. Sometimes as a pastor, I have to know. But most of the time, I don't want to know. But let me tell you what, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Some people think that they've done things that, well, you know, the Lord, he's not going to forgive me. And How many times have you heard this? Well, if I walk into the church, lightning will strike me. I'm thinking, well, lightning probably should strike you, but I doubt it will happen. Lightning should strike all of us. Amen? I mean, wouldn't you agree we all deserve to be in hell? But Jesus Christ's blood cleanseth us from all sin. All sin. Not only that, but in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, His blood has redeeming power. We preached about that about three, four weeks back. Redeeming power. The Bible says, For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, for your vain conversations received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious Blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The blood of Christ is what purchased your salvation. If you're saved today, you are bought with blood. That was the price. He says, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore, because you are bought with blood, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. It's redeeming power. What? What? What an amazing thing the blood of Christ is. I mean, that's why we're here tonight. It's not because the bills are paid, but we're thankful they are. It's not because we're pretty good old boys in northern Michigan, amen? But y'all are. If we're here because of the blood of Jesus Christ bought our redemption. Well, not only that, it cleanses us from sin, it has redeeming power. But notice this blood in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 his blood gives us boldness. His blood gives us boldness. Now, there's boldness inside every Christian. Now, some Christians hold it back. 
But there is boldness inside every Christian. The Bible says in Hebrews 10, 19, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. You say, what's that boldness? Well, that's boldness to come and have fellowship with Him. You don't have to have a bad conscience when you come to the Lord. You can, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, enter boldly into the throne of grace. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus Christ. But not only that, you now as a Christian, you have boldness to speak of Him and for Him. The Bible says in Ephesians 6, 20, that therein I may speak boldly. You know why you can speak boldly as a Christian? Because of the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Christ. You're purchased by the blood. It cleanses you from sin. And it gives you boldness. You don't have to go, Oh, says here in the book of Romans. You might do that a little bit the first time around. But you don't have to be like that. You can have boldness because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Well, His blood not only does all that, but it justifies us in Romans 5, 9. The Bible says, Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. What a blessing it is to know that the blood of Jesus Christ has justified us. Not only did it cleanse us from our sin, not only did it buy us, amen, but it justified us, it set our record straight, and now, in return, we have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. What a deal is that? You never got a deal like that in your life anywhere. I mean, as soon as you buy a new car and roll the thing off the lot, it's decreased $10,000, $15,000 in value. But the thing that you got when you got saved never loses its value. It always increases. His blood justifies us. How about this in Ephesians 2.13? I'm just trying to get you to think about him for a second. His blood enables us to draw an eye to Christ. His blood enables us to draw an eye to Christ. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.13, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. You say, well, why don't I want to fellowship with the Lord? Why don't I want to pray? Why don't I want to read my Bible? That's because you got a dirty conscience and you got to get back in the book, amen? But the blood of Jesus Christ draws you nigh to Him. You have the ability, you have the boldness, you have the access, and you have the confidence. It's not my problem, you got a bad conscience. Get after it and go talk to Him. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. Well, finally here, we're talking about the blood in Revelation 12, 11, something you should always remember. His blood enables us to overcome great difficulties. The Bible says in Revelation 12, 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. You see, in the Christian life, sometimes you're going to face some extreme difficulties, and I'm not talking about some Pentecostal, charismaniac experience. But I wouldn't hesitate for 30 seconds to plead the blood of Jesus Christ on a thing. I'd do it. I'd do it. I'd do it in a heartbeat. And I have, and I do, and I still do. But His blood enables us to overcome great difficulties. It'll help you witness. It'll help you get victory over sin. It'll help you calm your soul when you're overcharged and emotional and don't know what to do. Plead the blood of Jesus Christ. Just three things I wanted you to consider tonight as we come to this place of communion. Three things. Consider his betrayal. Consider his broken body that now makes communion possible 
between me and him. And how about this? Would you consider that the soul cleansing, redeeming, justifying, blood of the Lord Jesus Christ can not only save the vilest of sinners, but can it help the neediest of saints? His blood was not just for our salvation, but now it intercedes for us. And now he pleads for me. And that blood is just available now as it was when he was on Calvary's cross. Considering these things ought to enable us to take the next step tonight. You say, what's that, preacher? It's found in verse 28. The next step after consideration is self-judgment. The Bible says, but let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. The first step we preached about was consideration. The next step is self-judgment. I'm going to have uh, my daughters come and sing a few, and then I'm going to have uh, Brother Cole and Sister Courtney, and they're going to come minister to us for the, probably the next 10, 15, 20 minutes. And, uh, and this is going to be our time of self-examination and self-judgment before we actually partake of that cup. This altar is open. If you need to talk to the Lord, you come.